Hey, welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Dan Shapir. Hello from a Tel Aviv at war. Steve Edwards. Buenos dias from a cold and clear Portland area. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we are coming at you live. We are yeah. streaming. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Um, I, I don't have a, a nifty from line. Uh, from the green background. Coming. Yeah. You're from the green background. Well, I'm going to yeah. start using that too and streaming with the green screen. But uh, a green yeah. shirt. But then you might you should probably change your green shirt. I should because it will disappear into the. Anyway. <laughs> Look like you a floating can, you can head. Tweak it. You can make a it floating work. talking head, right? I, you can and you can't. Um, it it would blend a lot. Anyway, uh, we have a special guest this week. That's Salty Ohm. Salty Ohm. Um, I'll just call you Ohm. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, so, uh, like, uh, hello from Thailand. So, uh, my name is Ohm. Uh, it's kind of hard to pronounce, but that's that's how you pronounce it. So basically, I am an open source developer, uh, maintainer of Alicia, and working at the guild. Uh, if you're familiar with like uh, GraphQL, you call something like that. That's like uh, what we, uh, what 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 people from uh, where I'm working at created or something like that. But yeah, so overall, that's that's it. I would like to point out for the record that it is approximately 1:40 in the morning his time. So we appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh wow. Yeah. So yeah. um I'm just gonna jump in here and say some stuff. Um mainly because like Elysia or Elysium, um it's it's uh from literature, actually. And anyway, I, I remember reading Divine Comedy with uh where they go to on the Elysian fields and uh anyway, cool stuff. But uh that's not what we're talking about. What is Elysia JS? Do you want to just give us kind of the ten thousand foot view? <laughs> uh, like uh, so, uh, let us start with the name first. So uh-huh. uh, about the name, about the name, there's like a word called like Elysia, right? So uh-huh. it's kind of some literature that I was read that I read when I was like younger, maybe like ten uh-huh. or eleven or some sometimes around that, and I. If I remember, if I recall correctly, it's like a very nice story about something about love or something like that, or something like that. But I, I, I just like forgot how all the thing went. But I remember that I liked it a lot. So when I was like working on some stuff, I usually tend to like, oh, I remember that I like this word a lot, and there's like some story behind it. Maybe I forgot it, but that, but that's fine. I only like remember that I like this word a lot so I just like put it on there but on the technical side Elysia is like uh, a back-end framework for like front-end developers which kind of weird weird because like before I get into the back-end I, I was front-end developer before mm-hmm. getting into the back-end and I found that uh, the back-end is like kind of hard because like in the front-end we have like a lot of tooling like TypeScript uh, TypeScript uh, bundling step or something like that and in the back end we don't have like some tooling to like improve the 
kind of like develop developer experience a lot. So when I was like starting with backend, I kind of like very frustrated uh, over Express, Spotify, and Next.js. I found that it's quite hard to like setting them setting thing up. So I just like want to create something that is like maybe a little bit easier and and like borrow some term from front end development that can make like uh, front end front end front end developer feel at ease or something like that. That's why I create something like uh, if you are familiar with TRPC, there's like there's like uh, a server library and a client library that allow you to like use server uh, allow you to like get some type from server and use it in on client, which like simplify a lot of um data calling model like fetch over network a lot of that it, it is like it's like simplify a lot of things and it's like calling just a function and then you call you do some networking stuff in the in the between and then it just magically appear in the front end that's like that's uh that's how i start building this stuff but that's that's overall so I have to just make a comment on the name as well. Uh, first of all, if anybody saw Gladiator, the movie, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually mentioned there because uh, the Elysium field was like the Roman Valhalla. It's like where, where you right. went when you died, uh, like the sort of a grassy heaven. <laughs> it was portrayed in the movie. Uh, and the other benefit of picking that name is that you managed to score ElysiaJS.com which is not obvious for a lot of open source projects. A lot of developer projects have to settle for .dev or .io or something like that. So good. Hey, there's good no for settling you. for .dev. .dev's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but control. I'm enter, with Dan on this one. You're better control off enter the still uh, still uh, goes to .com, so that rules. Um, but uh, the the second on the technical part, you kind of uh, manage to say a lot of stuff in a really short time so because you you mentioned the fact that you were looking to create a, a kind of a replacement for Express and Fastify, and you also mentioned TRPC and type safety. So there's a lot to unpack in what you said really quickly. So maybe we'll do it a little bit <laughs> more slowly. So, so the first thing that I, I want to start with is you mentioned that it's an alternative to um, to express and to what's the the other one? Is it fastify fasty? I'm always I'm always uh, confused by I always forget which which what what's the name exactly? AJ, you probably remember. Fastify is the one that's far too complicated for the performance that it gives you when you could have used something else instead. Ah, okay. But I was on Team Fastify for a while. <laughs> okay, so so my first question is this: Given that Express rules so much of of web development on top of Node, uh, it's it's what's the motivation for creating yet another alternative for it? Like, why isn't Express or Fastify or one of the other alternatives good enough? Why do we need another one? That's a good question. Uh, so currently, uh, if you know like Vercel or Netlify or Cloudflare function, they are using uh, a different a different standard from uh, how Node HTTP work, which which Express and Fastify is built on. 
So if you want to use Express on Cloudflare Worker, you have to like uh, add some config or or add some Node.js additional layer or something like that on on like Versailles 8 function and Nellify function. Uh, they add some Node compatibility to make it work, and they know also does the same. But they actually use the different different API like. They have a standard called Winter CG, which uh, a lot of runtime try to unite together and create one standard that to make the JavaScript framework uh, behave all the same on for for making the request on uh, on making HTTP requests. They are called Web Standard API, and they use something called like new request and new response. Uh, new response. If you are familiar with uh, Next.js, they have an API root, and then in the API root, you can create something called new response. That new response is the same standard as using in Winter CG. So when you create some framework that based on this, it allows you to uh, make a framework run on any runtime without overhead for converting the for converting from uh, Node HTTP into like web standard back and forth. So it's like a standard is going to be like implemented a lot on many runtime and Express and Fastify is implemented on Node HTTP, but not on this uh not on this new standard. So there's kind of so there's like some new framework like Hono and Elysia that's trying to uh implement the in that try to implement the framework based on this standard. But that's it. Ah, so in, uh, rather than building on existing ad hoc node APIs, you're using the quote unquote, well, not really quote unquote, the standard APIs that are provided by the Winter CG. Yes. I, is that what I'm understanding? And, and that makes it possible to run uh, Elysia on on any winter cg compatible platform without the need for any sort of a compatibility layer that adds overhead and complexity correct yes yes that's correct in that case that kind of leads me to my next question where which is when i look at the uh, elisa uh, website the elisajs.com I see that it very explicitly states that it's intended for BUN. So that kind of contradicts, it seems to me, like the statement that it's compatible potentially with any Winter CG compatible platform. So is it for BUN or is it, or like, is it recommended for BUN or is it only for BUN? Like what's what's the attitude here? Mm-hmm. So uh, actually, Elysia is is designed to be run on Bun at first, but then we found that uh, Bun also used the Winter Safety standard, which allowed us to like uh, expand on expand the API to another uh, runtime as well. But at the first, so uh, currently we we are on like. Almost to the uh, we still in in and very early stages, but technically we tried. There's like uh, 
there's like a runtime different in for performance for each code. For example, in in Node.js, they are using V8, right? V8 engine to run the JavaScript. But in but in Bun, they are using JavaScript core. So there's like some area that uh some code tend to run faster in JavaScript core and some code tend to run faster in V8. So Alicia try to like uh run a lot, have a lot of code and pick the code uh and then we benchmark the code and benchmark the code in each runtime and pick what is what is fastest in JavaScript core and put it into the framework. So basically we are optimized for running in JavaScript core, but the performance doesn't like different a lot on each runtime. So technically it's like it is meant to be like run on JavaScript core, but the code also run the same in other runtime as well. It is it is just like faster in JavaScript core because it is meant to be run on there. But based on Winter CG standard that we are building, it allowed us to expand to like other runtime that I mentioned. But in the currently we have some like some plugin like maybe a file system for like serving static file. So for the first class plugin that we are building, we are building ex uh, especially for Bun, and then we provide uh, what is called like uh, the lower the the second tier support for Node.js and Cloud Cloud Fire Worker. But in the main environment that we are running, we are testing on Bun mostly. So my my so, understanding is that V8 is for desktop. It, it was designed by Google for desktop for long-running uh, applications where you get a lot of benefit out of JIT. And JavaScript Core was designed for mobile where things need to run very quickly the first time and JIT isn't as important as just as soon as you get the code, run the code. So. I understand why the two would be different. You, you going to do a micro benchmark on one line of code over here versus one line of code over here. And, and you're going to get better performance on one versus the other because they are V8 is going to be slower up front, but faster over time. JavaScript core is going to be faster in a one shot. And that's what these edge functions and edge platforms are geared towards is they're one shots. So. In, I know that Winter CG could technically apply to any runtime, but in practice, is Winter CG going to be JavaScript core, like Netlify, Vercel, et cetera? Yes, exactly. Okay. So it's it's not just Bun and it's not just Winter CG. It's that there's an ecosystem here where they pretty much all are going to use JavaScript core and they're pretty much all going to use Winter CG. So you're playing to that benefit. And there's no chance that Node would ever do as well because a, a Node application just is is never going to be able to be tuned for Winter CG because Node is running on V8. Yes, exactly. Okay. Although I, I do have to ask myself when I'm thinking about the code that you're writing, maybe you can give a concrete example of where you see such a difference? I mean, which code do you write that does any sort of processing that a certain optimization gets it to run faster 
in in core and a different type of optimization gets it to run faster in in v8 okay uh let's start with uh my most my most favorite one so if you're familiar with uh rest parameter in javascript it allowed us to like spread the parameter and create a new object based on uh, an existing one right so in v8 they really optimize for that spread operator so basically when you like pass the spread operator it run very fast like uh thousand million operation per second or something like that on my machine which is like uh happened in m1 max but when i do the same on uh javascript core it run just like a 10 million so there's like 100 time different on 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 like on very simple thing like copying the object and then create some object over it so when i first found this i quite i i, I checked i actually really shocked because like we I, I tend to use this object spread all the time when I was working uh, on my like on my daily job, but and, and then I use the same pattern in my framework. So when I run this on bun, it is kind of like I I I have like some question why it was very slow. So I have to like do a lot of micro optimization like uh to test some case like this, and then. We 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 like have some kind of weird thing. A lot uh, a lot of weird code happen that looks something like this. It it looks very simple, but it actually have a lot of different performance on on different JavaScript runtime. Uh, I have to say that one of my favorite quotes in the context of of micro benchmarks and micro optimizations is uh, lies, damn lies, and micro-optimizations. Um, because it's it's really, really diff- difficult to properly um, test micro-optimizations for JavaScript engines because, like AJ said, the engines kind of optimize things over time uh, and they can make all sorts of sophisticated decisions like identifying variant code in loops, and do all sorts of things, and then you're thinking you think that you're benchmarking one thing, but in fact you're benchmarking something that's totally different than what you think your code actually does. So it's it's it can be really difficult to properly do these optimizations. Uh, but you're correct that like when you're like optimizing for code that gets reused so many times in a server environment, it can make a significant difference. Which brings me to my other point, where people forget that while all these JavaScript engines, be they V8 or, or, or JavaScript Core or SpiderMonkey or whatever, they all adhere to the same standard, but they're like totally different implementations. And the developers, like you said, they optimize different things or for different scenarios, or, or they place their, their focus in other places. So it's not really that surprising that code that might run really efficiently in one engine might run a lot less efficiently in another or vice versa. So it's really interesting that you found that the spread operator for arguments is really not that optimized in in you know JavaScript core. Obviously it might change in a, in a future version. They might come out with a new version of JavaScript core where it's much better optimized. 
Um, so, so yeah, these things do change over time. That's also important to remember. Um, interesting. So basically, what did you do? Did you just avoid it? Did you use the arguments object instead? Like, what did you do when you saw that you got such bad performance with with the spread operator in that scenario? Uh, so uh, there's two cases that I use uh, spread operator. Uh, the first one was uh, to create a new object and then add some property over it. But sometimes it doesn't have to be copy. So when I, instead of doing spread operator, I use just like use direct assign to the object if it doesn't have to be a new one. So if it doesn't have any reference at all. Uh, and the second thing that I does to uh, handle the, to, to like uh, shallow copy the object, I use object assign instead on JavaScript core. It is like uh, faster than spread by like five times uh, than, than spread on JavaScript core. So that's, that's how it Oh, is. so object assign instead of spread. Yes. Interesting, because you would think that they would do more or less the same thing. So it's really interesting that they don't. But, you know, it's it's also interesting because, AJ, I, I, unfortunately, I didn't participate in that episode where you interviewed the creator of Bun, uh, Jared uh, Sumner, right? Uh, that's his name. Uh, and it's interesting because it seems that there there's a lot of commonality here of really optimizing each and every line of code to try to squeeze out the most performance that you can get. So it's really interesting to see that this project has the kind of the similar philosophy to the bun runtime itself. I just want to clarify something real quick. Um, this does, does it run on Node.js or does it only run on bun? It sounded like it's optimized for bun, but. Yeah, yeah, we have uh we have a plugin for converting the web standard into the node and then back and forth as I mentioned uh on okay. the first on the first one. So we have plugin for that. Yes. Okay. So you you've mentioned the the winter CG and you know some of the optimizations you've made. Um so have you more or less I have to say, I haven't done a ton with Express, but it looks a bit different from what I've seen of Express. So how did you decide what approach you wanted to take for things like, you know, routing and, you know, returning HTML and JSON and whatever else you've got it able to do? So uh, I, I want to make, uh, I want to make uh, the backend framework to just like return it up, just to return a value and then that return value uh, gets sent into the user, uh, gets sent to user or client. So uh, how Express works is that you get some contact and then call like uh, re uh, respond to send and then you send something. Or uh, if you want to send JSON, you have to like call the respond JSON and then pass the JSON into there. But in Alicia, we, I, I actually want to just like return the object, just like normal function and then pass it into the client. And in the client, we have uh we have a custom client for like like TRPC to 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 get the value of the function. So if you manage to 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 make the server behave just like normal function, and then client call the function and get the return value instead of doing response.json, uh using the return using the return keyword is like very uh are very familiar to 
uh, no more uh, are very familiar to front end developer because uh, when 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 you say that it is a function, they don't expect the response to be something like response.json or response.send. They expect it to be a value, and then when you use it on the client, when you see the server code, when front end see when front end developer see the server code, they just know that oh okay this function uh this endpoint return a function. Uh, so it's just like no more value there. Uh, the second thing is that when you use response.json, uh, TypeScript can't invert the return type from there. So on the client side, we have a custom library for calling the fetch for like something like TRPC, right? Uh, if you if you have uh, ever curious why TRPC doesn't use something like response.json or response.send, it is because that when you are using that same syntax, you can't infer type from the server. So you are forced to return the value as a literal value instead of pass, instead of like, uh, wrapping it into the function. So, uh, to key awake, uh, to key, to key awake, to key takeaway here is the first one is that TypeScript doesn't like, uh, response function. Uh, the, the TypeScript uh, want you to return a value as a value to get the inferred type. The second thing is I want to make it familiar with front-end developers. So when you want to return a response, you just return a value and then it get converted into a response. So, so again, I'd like to kind of decompose that into two parts. So the first part is that you you chose a simple API over, let's say, compatibility with Express. So your intention was not to create a library that is com as compatible as possible, let's say, with Express, but rather one that's kind of similar to Express, but intentionally not compatible in order to be easier to use and promote certain good programming practices. So that's part number one, correct? Yes. Okay. And the second part is, and it's kind of really highlighted also on the project's uh, homepage, is that you really wanted to focus on type safety and strict typing so that uh, as much as possible, you, like you said, you can infer the types from the actual return value from the server side function. And then on the client side, if you want, you can import those types and make and, and, and get type safety across the wire. Now, just to clarify that to make sure that I understand, you don't have to use this type safety, right? At the end of the day, it's just a standard HTTP response. So if I'm using just a regular old, you know, web client, like if I hit the URL in the browser address line, it'll just work. It'll just get a JSON response with the appropriate values. So I don't have to use the type safety. It's a benefit and a feature that I can use the type safety if I want to, correct? Yes, exactly. Now, this is kind of reminiscent of the conversation we recently had in an episode that just came out at the time of this recording about uh, where we discussed uh, the use of RPC in modern uh, meta frameworks. 
like in uh, Next.js version 14 or in Quick or in Solid, where you call uh, functions uh, across the wire and you get type safety provided by the meta framework that you're using. So for example, if you're using Next.js 14, you create a function, you put in it use server, then you can call it from the client and it, it behaves like a function call and it's type safe all the way, but it's not really a URL. You're literally calling a function. It gets translated into a URL behind the scenes. In your case, it's, it's not that. It's similar to that, but it's not that. It has a URL. It has a standard HTTP return value. It's not like masquerading as something else, but you still get the type safety, correct? Yes, exactly. And the type safety on the client side is provided by a, li a, a library that you're using, correct? Which library is it? Uh, yeah, uh, it is called Eden. It is a uh, sub-plugin of uh, in in the Alicia home pages, if you go into the plugin, the it is listed as the first plugin for this ex exact purpose. Yes. Is is it like a, a project that you chose, or is it like something that you already also worked on, or like what's the relationship between Eden and and uh, because it's kind of both of them reference and and Eden, so I'm wondering if if it's like. Something that you also created. Yes, it is something that I also created. Oh, cool. So you built Elysium on top, top of Eden in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So ex actually, I was I first created uh, Elysia, and then I found that maybe it is good if you can do something like TRPC for the server. So mm. I created Eden for that. I understand. It's kind of similar to Zod in a lot of ways, though, isn't it? Mm, so uh, Zod is for validating the API, right? So instead of using Zod, we uh, I actually use something called Hypebox, which is which is kind of like Zod, but it was like a lot faster, like hundred times faster or something like that. Wow. Hmm. So Hypebox is a uh is similar to Zod in that you can specify schema in, well, TypeScript, and then that schema becomes type safe. So it's a type safe way to send data across the wire. And you built Eden on top of that to infer the types from the return values in uh, Elysia and, and Okay, now I see what you're getting. So, and effectively, kind of constructed uh, sort of a TRPC sort of a thing out of all these uh, out of all these moving parts. Yes. Uh, I, by the way, I have to mention that uh, on your homepage, you have uh, uh, an, at the bottom you have a, a really nice playground. So, anybody who's listening to this podcast and finding it difficult to kind of like follow along, uh, uh, they should just go to, to the elysiajs.com, scroll to the bottom, and have this kind of interactive playground that they can use. Yep. I do so, not see an interactive playground. I see a start in minutes and an introduction and a cheat sheet. 
No, there's a try. Oh, the try it out, not at the exactly. very bottom. Okay, okay. Ah, so you went even lower. <laughs> yeah, it's exact. It's almost at the very bottom. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I I had a a few questions here. Uh, one of them was, uh, how do you how do you deal with headers and streams? Because I think that's the the main thing that is not you can't return. Well, I guess you could you could have some way that you return headers as part of your return object, but then streams are also, you know, if you're, if you're streaming some data rather than providing the object whole, what's the story for that? So for stream, uh, you can't, you can't uh, actually return the stream, right? So you have to do some, create something called like, uh, uh, what is it called? Arresting or something like that in Node.js, but in order to make that work as like no more value, we create some plugin called Elysia Stream, which allow you to create a new function, uh, which allow you to create a new class. And then when you want to return a stream, you call some send method. So that is the only case that you have to use the send instead of return the value. But yeah. so that's, that's it. Honestly, I can't think of a reason that you would ever use a stream in a web framework in production because typically you're just sending a file and if you're sending a file then your web server would send the file oh when you got to do generative stuff like creating uh creating a csv or a or a pdf or something like that on the fly that's that's the case for and and you kind of answered how i would do it in an ideal world i don't know how difficult it would be to implement in a framework like, like this especially given that i've never done it but like you said, AJ, it's generative, so I would gravitate towards generators as a way to do it. Instead of returning values, I would yield values. Get the hints! <laughs> Get the hints! Where's <laughs> my holy that, water? <laughs> yeah, but that's what it was. That's what it was created for, really. You know? Oh, it was created to confuse people and sound cool. It doesn't have to be difficult, really. It's more it's <laughs> it's more scary than it seems uh, once you get used to it. But but again, it 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 seems to fit the case exactly. Like every time you have more content, you yield some more stuff. Well, I, there was another question that I had. Well, 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 but wait, is it oh. before before you switch over? Uh, uh, Om, is 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 that something that you might consider? Either doing some sort of either generator or maybe a synchronous iter, returning an asynchronous iterator or something along these lines. Actually, I I actually first considered to use the yield keyword and generator function because uh, in the client library that uh, in the client library I actually prototype some some response for handle the stream. Uh, so basically, when you call uh, uh, fetch method in JavaScript, right? You you call JSON and then you get the result right away. But when you call, but when you call, uh, but when the response is a stream, you can't do that because if you do that, it is going to block block the response until all the stream is over. So mm-hmm. actually, I implement an async iterator over that, and I actually also want to implement that that on the ser- on the server as well because. Uh, 
to to sync to sync the API to like make them behave behave the same. But I actually asked a lot of people, and then uh, <laughs> uh, as many people said, they are kind of afraid of the generator function and yield keyword in general. So good. Good. For now, I am going to implement the same, <laughs> and then, and then I will implement the yield keyword later. So we are going to support uh, two ways to do this. I think, like I said, I I totally understand why people are scared of it, but on the other hand, I, I think it's it's a lot when done correctly. It's a lot simpler than than people really worry about it, it it's almost magic in how simple it can be there there are potentials potentially some issues with it like i don't know what the performance will be so you know given your performance focus you know it, it really depends how efficiently the engine actually implements all this all these mechanisms and it can vary a lot another potential issue to look at is is the push pull program problem like how you deal with congestion like uh, you know, it, it you basically want the client to be able to pull stuff, and you don't want to create congestion on the server side. It's an it's an interesting question how you control the flow in 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 these types of scenarios. Well, unfortunately, this is the time of year for congestion and colds and stuff. So hopefully, there's some <laughs> good code medicine for that. So speaking speaking of congestion, uh. I, there was one one thing I meant to ask earlier, but I, I realized I was on mute. So we were talking about the performance and we're talking about these micro benchmarks and and uh, and Dan was talking about how there's, you know, lies, damn lies and micro benchmarks or whatever it was. And so you you're showing here that I, I'm assuming that these requests are like it returns the string. Hello, world or something. So, you know, we've got Express can only do 15,000 a second. But Elysia can do two hundred, a quarter million, can do a quarter million requests per second. But uh, the the two concerns I have are one, this is being benchmarked on an Intel i seven, which is nowhere close to what you're going to have in a deployment environment. You're going to be dealing with a five hundred megahertz single thread, no hyper threading, or I guess not single thread, but single active thread no hyper-threading environment, which is going to be very different than a desktop that has, you know, eight cores available or or whatever and has full hyper-threading available to it. So there's there's that. And then there's also, uh, I don't know how much of this is, you know, we're measuring overhead and how important that overhead is. Because if I'm returning hello world, then all I'm measuring is the functions and the overhead of of the framework. But that may not matter in production because if I'm returning uh, an API response, the overhead of JSON.stringify on, you know, a kilobyte of JSON might be so much that if we were to run this benchmark in that type of environment, maybe, you know, maybe Express and, and Alicia are only you know, a hair's width apart once they act, once there's actually any of the work that you actually do in your application. So, and, and then, and then I did also look up, uh, there's a frameworks, web frameworks benchmark. And on this one, 
it has surprisingly a few JavaScript benchmarks at the top and then a bunch of Go uh, frameworks and then a few more JavaScript frameworks and then a few more Go and then and then down at the very, very bottom, the, the fourth one from the bottom is Alicia and it's showing that it's, you know, only getting a little over 10,000 requests per second, whereas it's showing that Express is getting uh, almost two and a half times that. So what, you know, what do these benchmarks actually say for an actual application versus it just looks cool to put on the homepage and draws in some hype? Okay, sure. Uh, I got this question a lot. So they, they are uh, the the benchmark called uh, web framework, right? So actually, they create an issue on LCS side. Uh, on our repo, you can go find an the issue there. Uh, the maker of this benchmark uh, request me to uh, have have uh, something called like a code review for what they are doing for LCS and Barn as well. Uh, actually, if you go back to that that benchmark in a month ago uh, around what does it call uh the nine month in english what does what does it call uh, around before october there is a benchmark that run on elysia and elysia was performing around uh 100000 which is around uh around level of go and rust uh if you could click on the top of the pages you can see you can see that you can scroll back into uh, the day that they did before. If you scroll back to the day that they did before, you can see that uh, most frameworks that run on Barn and like LC and Hono, they are performing very, very good, like 100,000 requests per second. But uh, at some point, they actually change some configuration of the Docker file. So how, how does, uh, how this web framework testing are uh, that they pack the run they pack the run they pack the runtime and the code into the Docker file, and then they execute the code. But the problem is that when they create an issue for uh that when when they create an issue on LCA on LCA repo, they are using uh PM two without what else got without doing the multi trade multi process work. So what you are seeing right, right now at the benchmarking. Uh, at the benchmark website, they are actually running on single thread. So that is why it's CR down to that level because other run, other node run, other framework like Express and Pacify, they are using multiple process to run to, to, to do the benchmark. And for BAN, like framework like LC and Hono, which for some reason are behave like quite slow. Recently, uh, because that they are changing, because they change the Docker file or some configuration or some hardware that I am not aware of, but I actually create an issue for that on their on their okay. report to fix that, and I am taking a look into that into that issue. So I can assure you that previously, around a month or two months ago, they are LC yeah. and Hono are performing a lot faster than it is now. So, so they might I, be I, I do see that October 3rd, I look at the October 3rd benchmarks and I see that there, Alicia is about five times faster than Express and whatever this benchmark is, which 
you know, who's, who knows what that is, but yeah, that, that was exactly my question is, you know, like the benchmark here, you know, this is multi-threaded multi-core versus an actual deployment environment. If you're measuring wide, it's different than if you're measuring, you know, horizontal measuring is different than vertical measuring here. You're doing vertical measuring there. They're doing kind of a hybrid. They're giving you, they're doing horizontal measuring, but only measuring one instance of the horizontal measuring, whereas you are doing vertical measuring. So yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. So, but in practice with an actual application, if you implement, let's say a to do app, well, I don't know if that's, even really enough, but let's, you know, if it's a to-do app that connects to the database and has some items, if you if you have some application implemented in both Express and in Elysia, what what do you think is the real difference in performance? And is even is that even like as big of a deal? Because again, you could just go with Go if you were really concerned about performance or, or Rust if you're hyper concerned about performance. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, about Elysia, uh, so we, we have like, uh, if you, if you do something like, uh, that to do, like, some simple to do list for the, for this case, they, uh, if you compare it to, uh, Node, uh, like Express and Falsify, they are not going to have like a lot of, the, of different, like, 10 times different. It, it is not that case because, they are if you do like something like uh, that database calling that they, they are going to have some overhead over there too so they can never like get up to like 10 times faster or 20 times faster they never did that with uh in the real world with database calling or something like that but if you do something in memory like maybe which is your edge functions your winter cg stuff yes so they, just using redis Yes, already as well. They are going to perform a lot faster because first, uh, in the edge, in, in, in edge function, they are using JavaScript core and then the code that we are making are actually very optimized for JavaScript core. Actually, Elysia has something like fake compiler that takes your code and generate a new code on the fly to remove any overhead that it could have or that. Wow. Or something That's like awesome. that. And so yeah, so before before we get to that, and I will want to get to that, I just wanted to also respond to you, AJ, in this context. Because first of all, you know, as a person that deals a lot in performance, I can tell you that performance is a concern, but rarely the main concern. So it's not like people say, oh, performance is the most important thing, so I'm going to choose Go over JavaScript. They choose Go or JavaScript based on a variety of concerns in which performance might be one of them, probably should be one of them, but mostly they need performance to be good enough rather than to be you know, the most performance solution possible. Mm-hmm. So they might prefer to use JavaScript because, I don't know, maybe it means that it's easier for them to move developers between the front end and the back end or because the person who did the initial implementation for the startup liked JavaScript, or maybe they like JVM, or maybe they like Go. So, you know, they they make whatever technical choices they make, but they just need to know that they're not going to dig themselves into a hole, let's say, performance-wise or scalability-wise. And by the way, this does, on, on the benchmark that I'm looking at from October... 
this actually outperforms uh, the the framework I use in Go and a, n- a number of other popular frameworks in Go. So uh, just yeah, just uh, to just to clarify that when I said you know Go might be faster according to these benchmarks, most of the Go frameworks are actually slower than Elysia. And the other thing is, is that if you're looking currently in at the edge function world, that's almost by definition like going to be node, well, not node-based, but JavaScript-based. Java, JavaScript-based or, you know, maybe web, WebAssembly, but, but probably JavaScript-based. So th- that's certainly an interesting use case for that scenario. And, and, you know, especially on the edge, you probably want the fastest thing possible. Because that's why you're using the edge in the first place, no? <laughs> I think you're using the edge in the first place because it's really cool right now. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> we 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 had a whole episode where I was we we had uh, Gal Schlesinger from uh, Versailles, and like the whole episode, I was trying to get him to say like what was the killer app for Edge, and and I don't recall that I got an answer. <laughs> oh. Investor money. Investor money is the killer app. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. So w- what I'm what I'm getting is is that here is a really nice to use uh, library that's an alternative to Express that's in a lot of ways has a much simpler API. It's type safe across the wire, and oh, it also happens to be a lot faster. Now you put faster at the top because it's sexy, but for me it's it's more of the like you know like the 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 icing on the cake in a lot of ways. So uh, basically, because like a lot of a lot of developers say that node is is slow, so I kind of want to destroy that 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 pressing. So that's why I put the performance on the top because it catch a lot of eye easier than saying I have something like maybe open API support or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, but are um, your benchmarks running on bun or are they running on node? Ah, uh, the benchmark is running on bun. But yeah. for, for Express, we also have bun and bun version and node version as well. Okay. okay. So all the tests are run, all the tests that you're showing are are, are on bun, correct? Uh there's some runtime. Uh there's some other framework like uh for Hono they actually work with uh, a lot of runtime like bun and deno as well. So I kind of run uh run on the other runtime as well. If the if the framework support, so there's like there's like Express on the bun and Express on Node or Hono on Deno or Hono on bun and then compare the compare the 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 performance difference. I, I don't. I hope I don't get hate for this. We actually even use Nest at uh, at Next Insurance where I work, and I and I really don't get the like why people <laughs> like it so much. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a, a nest person. Maybe it's, you know, I'm. I'm not big into decorators. Maybe it's that. Maybe we need to get Kent on to talk about why we'll never use nest. You wrote a blog post about that. Well, he anyway. spoke about why you should never use next, not next. why you should never use nest. Not nest. No, right. Yeah, you are correct. I mixed them up. 
Yeah. It's, so are it you saying like, nest is for the birds then? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't get the appeal, but maybe it's just me. Um, but again, so go, going back to, to Elysia, um, so we said it's, it's potentially like, like 18 times, let's say an order of magnitude faster than, than express. Uh, and let's say several times faster than, than fastify. So if you're concerned about performance, you've got that covered. It's got a much simpler API, at least for the non-streaming scenario. It's type safe. Oh, and I see that it's also open API compliant. <laughs> And that's just the new name for Swagger, right? Yes. Actually, it's, it's uh, the standard for that Swagger build on, but uh, mostly it's, we use Open API for Swagger. It's standard that they retroactively built it on after they turned it into the standard. Yes, yes. But it is nice to have because, like, in, in on my previous work that I was done with, like, freelancing, uh, I was using Fastify, and it is very hard to get it it work with Swagger and make it work with TypeScript. So when I have to change the schema, I have to change it on both TypeScript and change it on the Fastify schema and then change it on validation library. So I have to change a lot of that and there are like a lot of frequency change. So so I I I, I try to make it like defined by using one single schema, which is the type box that I was using. And then it does support the OpenAPI schema to generate Swagger as well. So that is really nice to have to uh, to, to to let a manager or senior programmer see that what are you working on or something like that. So and we did, how do you deal with headers? I, I don't think we actually rounded that question out. Ah, yes. Uh, so for headers, there are uh, when uh, if you are familiar with call uh, call JS, uh, when you get a request and response, everything is done to done through context. So you can so there's two cases. If you want to set the header, you can use the context set headers to append okay. the value to the header. The second one is that you can explicit uh, you can explicitly return something called new response, and that is that class is a standard that built into Windows CG standard. So you kind of get that for free for free. So and if you want to return a value, the second parameter of the constructor they accept something called headers and then you can pass the headers to that as well. But you can choose return uh each one if uh each one you like. But the good thing about Elysia is that Elysia tried to like if you are working with calls or something like that you don't have to explicitly set the headers because like plugin already set it set it there for you. And so does it how does it know? Well, I mean, generally you're returning JSON. I mean like 99% of the time you're returning JSON. But if you did need to return text or HTML or does it does it do some sort of peeking at the content when it's non-object content, non-object, non-stream to be able to tell what type it is? Or is it JSON by default? Like if I, if I just had a stream and you didn't know what was in the stream, what would the header be? 
Uh, actually, we uh, in in Elysia when you return the value, it actually passed to some function called map handler to map that value into into web standard response. So what we did is that we tried to find what is the most common case that developer tend to return. Like if they are return text with the HTML, which with HTML value, they are they Elysia automatically set the response to be a uh, automatically set the content type to be HTML. If the value is the JSON, they automatically set to JSON. And if it is a file, like you, you get it. Like there are a lot of cases that we try to try to like automate. But you can. So are you saying at runtime it looks at the data, and whatever that function returns, it memoizes the type, and then just returns that type. Is that what you're saying? Actually, we we do both. We, uh, as I said before, LC actually have a fake compiler to detect the return type and return value. But in case that it can't detect the value, they are using they are trying to interpret as uh, on 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 the fly. And what if I want to just add, uh, I don't know, let's say a cache response header, something that doesn't have to do specifically with the Content type, but rather just extra information on top. Uh, if you want to add some manual header, you can call. You can set the header based on context and context dot header, which is which is passed to uh, every handler in the. Ah, okay. So, in addition to the return value, if I want to provide some additional metadata. I can do it via a context object that my handler, that's an optional parameter to my handler, as it were. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, I assume you can also use that to do stuff like, I don't know, like a 304 response instead of sending all the data down again or something along these, uh, these lines or, so, you know. Um, you know, and again, uh, it it all works really well with with the bun really fast system for let's say manipulating files and and so forth. So I really like uh, the, the combination of these things together. But I, I I know that it's not necessarily AJ's jam, but I, I really like the type safety across the wire. Uh, the, the fact that uh, you you can post json data and get uh, a a build time error if if your if your passing in an improperly constructed object is is really powerful i i love type safety i love type safety i hate TypeScript. Oh, yeah that's the thing it's typescript based you can't get away from it in this context. i don't see any typescript here yes you well I'm looking at the cheat sheet. I don't see any TypeScript. This no, but, all looks but again, if you, go, if you go to the homepage and you and you search for type strict, go back. Uh, actually, you you go to end-to-end type safety. Introducing end-to-end type safety, you will see that it passes a, a string age instead of a numeric age, and you and it uh, you get a type error at build time. Yes, but that if uh, if you pull that up, there's no TypeScript there. That's that's using the uh, 
I forget what it was called, but well, the, yeah, it's the well the, the, the type object, the t dot object, t dot string, t dot yeah, number. but but again, it's a type object, but it but it but that's why I said that it's like Zod because yeah, it, yeah, does, yeah. it does the type checking. It you know you do it, it, both at build time and at runtime. No, I I'm a hundred percent on board with this. This is JavaScript. It's easy to read. There's no extra syntax to learn. No, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with this. Oh, you mean you mean the fact that you write t dot number instead of doing the the the, the explicit typing? That's the thing that you like. Well, no, I, I'm. It's not that I like it. I'm just on board with it. I don't dislike it. So oh, I'm not okay. saying I'm not saying I want all my code to look like this. I'm saying this doesn't this doesn't bother me. This is straight JavaScript. <laughs> There's no magic here. I I like uh, JS Doc. Well, like I use JS Doc to get my type safety. I use the TypeScript checker. I use JS Doc. I don't see any JS Doc here. I don't see any TypeScript here. But this type safety is is sane. It's easy to read. It's easy to write. It's intuitive. I don't think that anybody would come across this, whatever their background is, and and think, oh, this is difficult. Like this is this is intuitive. You you would be productive with this in a matter of seconds. Like but, you don't. But the, the the nice thing is that uh, that because of the way that you know tools like VS Code work, even if it was like client j dot js instead of client dot ts, you could still probably get the type checking to work. So, so it's salt. Uh, I was going to call you salty because that's your first part of your handle there. But um, uh, hold on, let me. It's just um, right? Um. Yes, yes, please um. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> so. Do you have uh, compatibility with uh, JS Doc, or can can the type checking does the type checking work with just regular JavaScript and JS Doc? I do. I do notice now it shows that this file ends in .ts, but I don't see any TypeScript here. This all looks like regular JavaScript to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I am not sure if it works with JS Doc. If it is working with JS Doc, because. Uh, if it is type as TypeScript and then you add the explicit type, it is going to favor the TypeScript type over the JS doc, if I remember correctly. So I'm not sure in that case. But if we, but if you try to type it in JavaScript in .js file, it should work as well. But okay. I, 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 I don't actually recommend that because uh, Elysia does a lot of typing magic to make it work that way. It should, so, so it should it is, work. It should work, AJ. It just might not be as nice. So it's preferred that you don't use JavaScript with this framework, but you use TypeScript. Mm, if if not, you want not, a type safety, you don't not, have to have the type safety. Not exactly. Uh, you can actually use Elixir with JavaScript, and then you can still get the type safety. If, uh, but it is not. As it it will not be as good as TypeScript because it because like Elysia does like have like a thousand line of TypeScript to make that work to make all other thing be inferred and then you don't have to ever write ever write type manually. So, but if you are using JSDoc, uh, and then you uh documented it line by line, it should it should work, but. It, do you have custom? T- this is the thing. Do you have custom tooling? Or are you using TSC 
we uh, we are using purely GSC. Actually, I wrote I wrote a lot of TypeScript type. So uh, I actually wrote some compiler base for GraphQL in type level two or something like that, or some tool like that. And then I use that experience to make the same thing with the Alicia. Okay, so so if it works with TSC, it'll work in Alicia. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. So then then JS doc will work. Okay. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I I hate TypeScript. I I think it's just so much complexity. It's like you got to have a computer science degree to use TypeScript. You can be a you could be an idiot and use JavaScript like like you wouldn't go. You yeah. Know? Here's the thing. I, I like to, and it's a bit of an aside, and, and I apologize for that, but still, um, TypeScript is kind of like herding cats because, you know, JavaScript is was like is like the poster child for dynamically typed languages, kind of like Ruby in that regard. It, it's like really carefree and wild about how it uses types, and, and TypeScript really tries to wrangle that and make it possible to get all the JavaScript expressiveness with type safety. So you're going to get a lot of complexity in TypeScript in order to try to achieve something like that. Uh, Most TypeScript developers don't really need to deal with all this sophistication. It's mostly for library builders, people like Ohm, who want to introduce type safety in this way. I'm guessing you did a lot of sophisticated TypeScript coding, which was really far from trivial. And kudos for that but but most you know run of the mill typescript developers never need to deal with such sophisticated complexity all right i'm going to push us to picks i will also say that i like the wild west of the type system in ruby um but yeah <laughs> uh let, let's jump in and do some picks uh before we do that though um how do people find you online oh yeah uh i do have a twitter account which uh, had the same name as here, uh, Salty Arm. You can find me on there, or otherwise you can go into uh, Elysia, and then you can go to Elysia GitHub. There are links to my GitHub profile as well. But mostly for uh, programming stuff, I usually active on Twitter, mostly. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do our picks. Steve, do you want to start us off with a high point of the episode? Absolutely. All right. So uh, still missing my uh, my rim shots. We got to get that figured out, Chuck. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the past, I've talked about all the different jobs I've had and how I got fired, you know, like when I used to work for the bank and got fired by pushing an old lady over when she asked me to check her balance. Um. One point, I used to work for the uh, circus, and I was a human cannibal until they fired me. Right. And then uh, recently, uh, I bought a chicken to make a sandwich. Turns out it just poops all over the floor and doesn't make sandwiches at all. Right. And then... Uh, you do need your uh, rim shots. I'm sorry. I do. I really need them. And then... Um, yeah, this is almost I, sad without the rim shots. <laughs> <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. And then uh, I burned, you know, I'm working on losing a little weight, and I burned 2,000 calories yesterday. I left my food in the oven for too long. So. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. 
<laughs> like, I feel I like I'm a, doing this, right? I'll have to get a sound effect on my phone and hold it up or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Those are my picks. All right. Dan, what are your picks? Uh, well, given the realities on the ground here, my my main pick this week is going to be the anti-missile defense system that we've got going here in Israel. Just to give it uh, to, you know, put it in numbers, since this conflict began, uh, Hamas has fired, and I'm excluding Hezbollah in the north, just Hamas has fired close to 10,000 rockets at Israel's population oh, set, at Israel's population centers. So they're intentionally trying to hit our cities, like, you know, Tel Aviv or uh, the more southern cities of Ashkelon and Ashdod have suffered a lot of rocket attacks. And what makes it, you know, being a basically livable here in Israel is the fact that we've got an amazing rocket defense system. It's actually three-layered. Uh, we've got the Iron Dome as like uh, the layer that deals with the lower flying rockets. Uh, you've got uh, David Sling, which deals with the mid-range systems. And then you've got the Arrow, which is for ballistic missiles, and which was actually used for the first time uh, in in a, in a combat scenario, not an experiment or something like that, uh, when uh, the Houthis in, in Yemen actually mm-hmm. fired the rocket uh, at, at Eilat. So it was actually intercepted by uh, an aero missile. Now, I was actually, when I was in the uh, army a long time ago, I was actually involved in the development of these systems. So I, I feel an extra level of, of of gratitude and appreciation for what they've been able to achieve to achieve with these systems it's it's pretty incredible um so that would be my pick by the way if there's one part of our economy that's like benefiting from all this is the defense industries because like you know there a lot of countries are now looking to buy these defense systems because they've just proven themselves incredibly well uh, in, in these times. Um, so that would be my pick. Uh, other than that, you know, the war is still ongoing. And uh, even after all these times, we, we still get like more information and more videos and whatnot about what happened on October 7th. Uh, it's actually, I actually watched a video that was released online. I, I saw that you also favored it, Steve. Uh, I kind of wished I didn't watch it after watching it. Because Is that the one with the girl? Yes. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's more like it. Yeah. I think is a, it's, is a better word. It's, it's pretty hard. It it kind of scars your soul when you when you see stuff like that. Uh, it's it's really difficult. Yeah, that's what uh, happens when you treat human life as disposable. I mean, as with no value. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. So the war in Israel, the ongoing war in Ukraine, which people tend to kind of ignore now. There's actually a lot of stuff that people are are kind of ignoring because of the war here. Like there's something that's on the verge of genocide in Darfur going on right now, and nobody's talking about it. Um, because, you know, nobody cares about them, apparently. 
uh, and and whatnot. So yeah, sorry. Those are my sad picks for today, and I um, I apologize for that. And uh, try to oh, how can I forget? Uh, just when you think that all the world is doom and gloom, then you've got some com- uh, comic relief, like what's happening with OpenAI and Microsoft. <laughs> uh, I, have you been following this? This is pretty nuts. It's head spinning just watching all the moves and who's so, doing what. So a, a really fast recap. The board fired Sam Altman for no obvious or apparent reason, like overnight, as it were. Uh, for failing to disclose some unspecified information to the board. They literally informed Microsoft, who was the biggest shareholder in OpenAI, like a minute before the firing. So they literally didn't give them any time to respond to that. Microsoft stock then lost 4%, uh, which is quite a lot, given the size of that company. Mm -hmm. And then they appointed the CTO, to be the interim CEO instead of Sam Altman. I forget her name. Yeah, uh, fir- something, yeah. And the first thing she tried to do is to hire him back. So the board fired her as well. <laughs> and oh, then that's brought- why. I didn't realize that. I knew she'd been, I saw that she had been made CEO. I didn't understand that was why she'd been let go. Yeah, something along these lines. So, and then they brought in somebody else from the outside. Uh, and then, like on a Sunday night at midnight, uh, Satya Nadala, the CEO of Microsoft, basically tweets that, uh, first of all, we will work with the new management team at OpenAI, but, oh, we are hiring Sam Altman to run, to be the CEO of our new AI division inside Microsoft, and he's bringing over everybody from OpenAI. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, not I don't know if it's everybody, but uh, well, not all the good people. <laughs> that is the weirdest acquisition I've ever heard of. Yeah, so some people are now speculating that my, maybe Microsoft instigated all this thing just to, you know, not be dependent on OpenAI as an external provider and just bring everything in house. Um, by the way, what is Microsoft stock doing today? I would. After these, I, well, it's up two and a half percent almost. So yeah, so apparently the market likes that news. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's 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 the weirdest thing. Some people are actually speculating that maybe they're kind of grooming uh, Sam Altman to replace Setnya Nadala eventually. Oh, like, geez. Mm, that would. Uh... I don't know. Anyway, it's funny times. So. At least I'm finishing with an and with an upbeat pick. So yeah, yeah. I so just caught you... the tail end of that on Twitter. Oh yeah, That's you've nice. got to love you've got to love Elon Musk's response to Satya Nadala's tweet about this, basically saying that now uh, Sam Altman and his team will have to use Teams for their online yes. conferencing. <laughs> oh, that was so poor good. souls. All right, AJ, <laughs> what are your picks? All right, so first and foremost, metal showerhead. So I don't know how many people have this problem. It seems like anybody who buys a showerhead with a plastic showerhead holder would have this problem. But our, because the showerheads, you know, they, uh, 
and then the plastic pieces break, right? And then, so anyway, we bought a metal shower head holder, and the thing was like almost the same price as a new shower head, but now we'll never have to buy another one ever again. And it even came with the, the Teflon tape that you need to make it so it goes on smooth and doesn't have any leaks and stuff. So yeah, so metal shower head holder. I don't know why I didn't buy one of these months and months ago because ours has been broken for a long time and we just kind of like have it balancing in the shower just right. And then, but the thing is, because they're not, it's not a standard size, I, I like was really demotivated to go look for one because they're, you know, and, and of course the company that we bought the shower head from, they're not, they don't have replacement parts, you know. So anyway, but we got, we got this, I, I think it's like the only all metal shower head that's available for purchase on Amazon. It's, it's, I think $27, but totally worth it. And no, it doesn't fit perfectly because there are no standard sizes for these things, but it fits good enough. You know, it's not like, it's not going to fall out. It just doesn't have that perfect look of whoop, fits all the way in. So that's one. Number two, that should be number one is Super Mario RPG because. It's the best game ever. I mean, it's it rivals Link's Awakening. Maybe surpasses it. I don't know. That's a tough call. Um, but I'm going to interrupt you for a second and just say that I have to drop off. So uh, bye bye for every to everybody and Om. Really, thank you for coming on. It was super interesting and it looks like a really great project and all the best with it. So bye everybody. So Super Mario RPG, right? Uh, just so, so good. Very faithful adaptation. I'm really upset that they did it in, I think it was Unreal rather than a custom engine that's for the Switch because the performance is terrible. There are tons of places, especially in the very beginning where there's lots of, uh, like, I don't know if cutscene's the right word. It's kind of like cutscene, but where there's, there's weird frame skips and stuff that just, that just hurts my heart because for a lot of reasons why why like yeah but but okay that that only affects you for like the first 2 minutes of the cutscenes and then every once in a while it's it's noticeable and i just feel like a game this simple that literally they just brought they brought super mario rpg essentially up to gamecube style graphics and i don't know why we why that can't run on the switch perfectly at a measly 30 frames per second, but whatever. Um, but it's a faithful adaptation. The music is so close that I really almost can't tell the difference between switching between classic music and modern music. I mean, obviously the modern music is a little bit smoother, but the, the classic music was so daggone good. I mean, they really did a great job on the Super Nintendo to get that that music to feel so full and robust. And yeah, so it's just it's just nice to be able to play. I don't I don't have to run an emulator on my GameCube to play Super Mario RPG anymore, which I wasn't really going to do anyway, because, you know, now that we have LCD rather than CRT, when you play those Super Nintendo isomorphic games, like Super Mario RPG is the only one that comes to mind. But trying to play a, an isomorphic, is that what it's called? Isomorphic? Or is it the, the, the anyway, the, the style of, of artwork that Super Mario RPG is, is torturous to try to play on a modern TV through emulation on a GameCube or Xbox or whatever. So I'm glad that they came out with it. Super excited to uh, uh, play it with my four-year-old. And she, you know, she's having, 
so much fun with it. Uh, you know, she put Mario up on a, a spinning flower and then just left him there to watch him spin around. And then he got dizzy and fell off. And I don't know if I knew that he would do that. And there's, you know, it's just such a fun children's game. Uh, there's, you know, if you're a kid, like my four-year-old, and you do the things a four-year-old would do, you make all these interesting discoveries about the world. And so, yeah, I just, I love Super Mario RPG. It It is, it's a, it's a tie between that and Link's Awakening as to which is my favorite game of all time. Uh, Link's Awakening was super challenging, great story. Super Mario RPG is just so fun and, and lighthearted and great characters, just so enjoyable. And then I'm also going to pick, moving on, the Primogen, because I start. So I, th- there was a JavaScript Jabber episode that made it into one of his reactions because I like skipped a sentence when I said something, and then it, Lane didn't understand what I had said. Who was our, our our guest that week? And then anyway, there was there was like this little bit of miscommunication about go routines, and then he ended up picking it up, and then a bunch of people referred me to that, and and everything that he said was absolutely correct given the 30 seconds of the clip that he watched. Cause if you actually backed up or knew that this was a JavaScript podcast and that it was go routines in compared to JavaScript, not go routines in compared to Python, but you know, go routines because go routines compared to JavaScript async, not go routines can compared to no ace. Anyway, whatever his takes were great. And I started watching other of his videos and I, I love, I love just about everything that he has to say. Uh, he, he's just, he he's got he's got that he he looks like a younger guy but i think he might be older than he looks cuz i thought at first i thought he was younger than me but he maybe he's even older than me i don't know but um he just he has that wisdom of a seasoned developer of having gone through the hype and then gone through uh you know kind of kind of scaling back to simplicity and it's kind of what wins. And, and so I just, I love his takes. I, I've watched several of his reaction videos now. And uh, yeah, 100%. I, 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 my name is AJ O'Neill and I endorse the Primogen. Uh, yeah, I just listened to him on another podcast. I think it was Whiskey Web and whatnot. Uh, interesting to, to hear him talk. He's, he's pretty sharp. He's fun to yeah. listen to. Yeah. And he, he's, he seems to have his hand in like so many pots that, Sometimes I notice the thing that he says, it's like, that's not 100% technically accurate. But then again, I'm a person who skips an entire sentence while I'm thinking in my head and then move on to the next sentence without actually saying the thing that connects to the two sentences. So uh, I've got no room to speak on that. Um, And then lastly, I started writing my first Zig program and I found that Zig, Zig is what Bun is written in. And Zig is uh, almost at the level of Go. So you get kind of the performance of Rust or, you know, if we're going to talk dirty words, C or C++, right? But you get a lot of uh, ergonomics and safety, not at the level of Rust because it's meant to be far more ergonomic. Well, it's not meant to be more ergonomic than Rust. It just is more ergonomic than Rust. Uh, it, it's it's got uh, there's just a few unique features to it. Maybe I'll I'll bring up another time when I pick just that. But uh, I think that Zig is a language that you can be if you if you've used other languages that do some form of memory management like Rust or C uh, or you know or just generally modern uh, system level languages. Even you know if we want to put Go in that category, we could put Go in that category. But if you've used 
if you've used, uh, if definitely if you've used Rust, you know, even to the point of being able to get just slightly beyond the hello world, or if you've used Go, I think that Zig is a language that you can learn in a week. You know, so the Rust you can learn in a year, uh, Zig you can learn in a week, Go you could learn in a weekend. That's kind of how I how I'd position them. The JavaScript you can learn in a lifetime if they ever stop changing the language, maybe. And uh, and I, I will I will uh, say that I do believe I'm going to check out Elysia. Uh, I'm going to try not to get too excited about it, where I like I did with Fastify, where I was telling everybody this is the bee's knees, and then I got a little bit into it and realized, oh, this is just far too complicated for the small gains that you get. It's just not worth it. This looks it has the appearance of being pretty simple, um, so I, I am interested to try out Elysia. Uh, I, I do have a project in mind that would be a good project to um, to play with it with and and see um, if it doesn't hurt me to use, which it looks like it won't hurt me to use. Looks like it might even help. All right. I'm going to jump in with my picks here. Um, I'm going to pick a board game first. Now, uh, I, I've mentioned that I help teach games at uh, TimCon in Provo. And this was one of the games we taught. This was not my favorite game, but it was fun. Um, I kind of put it on the level of if somebody wanted to play it, I would say yes. But if somebody wanted me to pay for it, I would say no. Um, and it's called Astra. And what it is is you have uh, constellations and you're trying to complete the constellations. And so uh, they all have a starting star that you start on and you trace out the constellation. Whoever finishes it gets constellation in their hand. And then you can use the constellation's ability to do different things. And so, um, and if you contribute to a constellation but you don't win it, then you get a one-time boon for completing it. Um, and yeah, anyway, you can increase your capacity to um, cover more stars in the constellation. You can increase your capacity to. Um, hold more cards. Anyway, there are different things. It's relatively simple game. I think it took us about an hour to play it. Um, and it has a board game geek weighting of 2.19. Um, and uh, I went to try and find it on Amazon and I didn't see it there. However, it is on board game arena. So if you want to play it on the internet, you can do that. And I do not pay for my, board game arena account and i play games on here semi-frequently so it looks like this one is a, a free game to play so anyway go ahead and check that out um really digging that i'm also going to throw in a couple more picks with some of the stuff that i'm fiddling with um one of them i switched my error tracking over to honey badger honeybadger.io i've been pretty happy with that um and yeah, I've also been having getting some feedback on top end devs uh, on stuff that I you know, isn't quite working quite right on the website. So if you're running into that, let me know. And then finally, uh, we are going to be releasing the premium podcasts um, and the uh, meetups and memberships. So keep an eye out for that on top end devs. And that's what I've got. Uh, Ohm, what are your picks? Uh just uh, okay. Uh, I I have I have one so. Uh, around like two days ago, I have uh, my Microsoft Thailand invite me to talk about GitHub and LEC in general and uh, about open source. 
So I actually made an appointment with Microsoft to talk about it, right? So I have to talk it on stages, but apparently there's a little bit, uh, a little bit of uh, wrong mark in my calendar. So on on that day, I have to speak at Microsoft uh, Universe, uh, GitHub Universe after party Thailand, but. In that day, in the morning, I have to went to the the other the 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 other the other one. There they are hosting a game event. Which if you cosplay to the to to their booth, they they will give you some a lot of nice stuff in in return to like like for for like uh, taking picture with uh people around there. So. I was cosplay. I plan to cosplay to the game board to get the stuff right, and then I realized that it is uh it is organizing in the same day. So I have to ask Microsoft if I could maybe maybe using the cosplay costume to present at GitHub Universe Thailand. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently they 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 allowed me to do it. So we. The, the the unique thing is that this uh this this GitHub universe are organizing in in Siam. Siam is like the the center of the Bangkok, which where every station in Thailand are crossed there. And we are talking in like the biggest uh <laughs> biggest biggest uh shopping mall there. So there's like a lot of people walking around, and then there are like some people like. Oh, they they have some like cosplay on the stages, but I they they can't understand that at all because like we we are talking up about like programming stuff. And apparently after that, uh, Microsoft uh Microsoft employee uh actually DM me and say that maybe uh there's like a lot of uh, a lot of crown uh actually really happy and participate more than more 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 than usual. So. Apparently, they also invite me to like another conference in the January, and they also asked me to do cosplay again to see if the the crown actually liked it or not. So, just kind of funny story that I have. Yes, awesome. That's that sounds like fun. I love cosplay, honestly. Um, it's it's fun, especially with my kids. My kids really dig it. So, I'd love to give a talk to cosplay. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, this was fun. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming. <laughs>